You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. To analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, if I cough during the program, don't despair. It is not COVID-19. If I cough during the program, down here in Melbourne, it's hay fever season. And today... Wednesday, the 9th of November, is a pollen day. Nasty little day. So those of you with hay fever, if you live in Melbourne, take care of yourselves. Remember about 10 years ago when uh, almost a dozen people died as a result of a pollen exposure. So it is a serious issue. Now, if you wonder what anarchism is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on... Guess what? Guess what? Power and wealth. It's inequalities in power and wealth which give rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people. So an anarchist is somebody who's involved in the struggle against the centralisation of power and the centralisation of wealth. It's a very simple concept. Nothing, you don't need a PhD in political science to understand what anarchism is all about. Anarchos without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. What gives our rulers the ability to set up a confrontation with China on behalf of Trump land? Well, inequalities in power and wealth. Whether rulers are elected, self-appointed or hereditary, a ruler is a ruler is a ruler and they are the mortal enemies of anybody who thinks, who describes themselves as an anarchist who's involved in the struggle to devolve power and share wealth. Now, on a serious note, I'd like to um, farewell Richard Ely. <clears throat> now, Richard Ely was a great supporter of community radio, 3CR <coughs> in Melbourne, a great supporter. Since, since its inception, him and his wife, Jean Ely, and their son, Robert, have always been great supporters of 3CR, and uh, uh, Richard died on the weekend after a long struggle with uh, heart failure. He was a very gentle man, a very determined man, a very intelligent man, an academic. So I and uh, listeners to the program who knew Richard and who know Jean and, and who knew Robert... 
we uh, send our condolences to Jean. Uh, Richard and Jean were together for over 60 years, which is a remarkable in anybody's uh, language. So we, we send our condolences here from 3CR. And uh, I was very sorry to hear about uh, Richard's death on the weekend. Now, those of you who remember the name Ely, well, if you do listen to Community Radio 3CR, uh, the Defence of Government Schools program has been broadcast here for over 40 years and continues to be broadcast by Gene and supporters of, the def- of uh, government schools. So farewell, Richard. You made a contribution. You won't be forgotten. All right, let's move on. Now, this weekend will be the Francesco Fantine Memorial. Now, we're not sure <clears throat> what condition the uh, ossuary will be in because it was flooded in 1974, but the uh, bodies were uh, moved to higher ground after that flood. Hopefully they weren't flooded this year, but we'll find out when we go down there. Now, Murchison is about, ooh, about 130, 140 kilometres from the Melbourne CBD. And what happens on the Sunday nearest to Remembrance Day, which is the 11th of November, which is this Friday, is that members of the Italian community, usually older folk, and members of the Anarchist Mill Institute and supporters turn up uh, to uh, remember those people who are the 220 people who are buried in that ossuary. It's only open once a year, so if you wish to be there when it's open to pay your respects to Francesco Fantine, and I'll explain who he was, uh, you need to be there at around 10am. What usually happens, yes, there is a Roman Catholic Mass, which we listen to, and after... They're, uh, after they're finished, we usually have a small memorial gathering from Fra- Francesco Fantine and then uh, have a lunch. What would you expect from our mob? We have a community lunch, so please bring along your own uh, food and drinks. This is on the uh, banks of the Goulburn River. So it's this Sunday, the 13th of November. So who was Francesco Fantine and why do we remember him? Who are these 210 people who are buried uh, in this ossuary in Murchison? Well, the ossuary is actually an Italian war memorial. As Australia has war memorials all over the world of uh, soldiers and sailors and airmen who never returned home and were buried in foreign places. Obviously, other governments have the same thing. So it is an Italian war memorial. There are 220 people interned in this memorial, and there are Italian prisoners of wars and Italians who are interned during World War II. And uh, the Italian community around Shepherd in the 50s and 60s donated a shilling and uh, each, and over time... Raise enough money not only to build this mausoleum, to house all the people who died across Australia, but also um, also brought um, brought that community together. Now, who was Francesco Fantine? Well, Francesco Fantine was an in- interesting character. He was a refugee 
from Mussolini's Italy. A very skilled tailor from northern Italy. He was an Alpini. He was conscripted into the Italian army in World War I and fought on the front against the Austrian where the Italy lost over 600,000 men. So he was an Alpini, so he was a returned serviceman, but also he was an anarchist. He was an anti-militarist. He was an atheist and he was an anti-fascist. And he escaped from Italy after Mussolini seized power, a few years after Mussolini seized power, and he escaped because of his anti-fascist activities and the fact that he was uh, in line for imprisonment and possibly execution. He escaped to Australia, and from about 1924 to 1942, when he was killed on the 16th of November 1942, he was involved in anti-fascist activity. Australia was an interesting place in the late 1920s and 1930s. Fascism and the New Guard was the uh, Australian fascist movement was growing around the world. But most people in Australia had no idea what fascism was and what it meant. So those Italian anarchists, people like Camagnoli and Fantine and many others who'd come here as refugees continued their struggle against fascism, especially Italian fascism, because Mussolini was sending out aid to Italian communities in Australia and also sending out doctors to set up medical clinics in North Queensland. So the Francesco Fantine was involved in the direct action movement against uh, fascist Mussolini's representatives in Australia. And he was involved in that struggle from 1924 to 1941. And during that period, in an attempt to wake up the Australian trade union movement to the evils of fascism, because many trade unionism were being uh, influenced by the emerging fascist New Guard movement in this country, that they set up a club across the road from Trades Hall in uh, Melbourne. And uh, when I do the uh, 1st of May historical tour here in Melbourne, we always go to where that club was, the uh, agricultural hall across the road from there. And that club had a significant impact on Australian trade unions, especially on unions about the, uh, what fascism really meant. Now, when World War I broke out, sorry, when World War II broke out, many Italians who had lived here for generations, including my uncle, who was only 18, were interned as enemy aliens. And Francesco... Fantine, who'd been an anti-fascist all his life, who had confrontations with the police in Australia, and had, because of his anti-fascist activity, was arrested as an enemy alien in 19... I think it's February 1942. And uh, he was um, interned at Camp Love Day in South Australia, 
But the dilemma was that he was a virulent anti-fascist. He was interned with over 350 well-known fascists. And while stooping for a drink from a tap in Camp Love Day on the um, 16th of November, he was beaten to death with a 4B2. The cowards involved came around the back and while he was stooped to drink, smashed his skull in on numerous occasions. So it highlights that philosophy or ideology we seem to have in this country, that they're all the same. It's like this current hysteria regarding China. Are we going to intern a million Chinese if there is war breaks out? Think about it. So we remember the man. We go there, he had no children. He has some descendants in North Queensland who um, have come down on one occasion to the ceremony. But we we honour him as an anti-militarist, an anti-fascist, an anarchist and an atheist. The fascinating thing, if you do come to the ossuary, on Sunday, on Sunday the 13th of uh, November, is the fact that death is the great equaliser. You'll see internees who are anti-fascists buried side by side by fascist sol- soldiers and sailors, some conscripted, some volunteers, men and women buried together. It, is, it, is a, it can be a moving experience. So... Please come along. If you can't, there's always next year. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. While we're talking about uh, these issues, let's move on to Eureka. Yes, that's right. It's around the corner. It's on Saturday, the 3rd of December. That's Saturday, the 3rd of December. And once again... They reclaim the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Group, which I'm convener of. And this year, in association with Ballarat and Western Regions Trades Hall, are holding the 168th anniversary celebrations. Now, it's fascinating how the Eureka story has been used and reused by various elements in Australian society to highlight their opinions many racist and fascist opinions. Unfortunately, a lot of people have no idea what Eureka was about. They think it was about mining licences. The essence of the Eureka Rebellion is encapsulated in the Eureka Oath, which was taken by about 500 poorly armed miners at Bakery Hill on the 27th of November, 1854, we swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. And this was an extraordinary group on the Victorian goldfields. Many were political refugees from the failed 1848 revolutionary wave which swept over Europe. Many of the people who'd come to Victoria were Chartists who'd been involved in a long campaign to extend democracy, 
to increasing sections of the population in England. So there was a huge conglomeration of different people who came together. And in 1853, the Victorian Legislative Council made a very important decision. Let's not remember that Victoria wasn't colonised till about 1836, when the so-called Three Enterprise crossed the, uh, the Straits from Tasmania. And within 10, 15 years, a vibrant, a vibrant population of over 100,000 First Nations peoples reduced to less than 2,000 as a direct consequence of the colonisation process. And the colonisation process was all about claiming land, using that land to grow sheep, to send wool back to the satanic mills in England, which were employing four- and five-year-olds. That's all it was. So the members of the Legislative Council, which represented the squatters and 700 squatters, had claimed the whole of Victoria within 10 years, made a very important decision. They made the decision to introduce a mining licence fee, which is the equivalent of almost $1,000 for four weeks to have, you know, dig a hole in the ground. And they did that for one very good reason, because they were concerned that they would lose their poorly paid workers from the sheep stations would go to the gold fields to try to win their luck. A little bit like trying to win Powerball, you know, trying to find gold. So instead of taxing the gold that came out of the ground, they decided to tax the miners. And this is what led to the confrontations which led to the Eureka Rebellion. Now I'm going to go... Now, there are four distinct elements in the Eureka story, and obviously I'll speak about them another day, but I will mention them. It was direct democracy. They didn't have representative democracy where, where people, you know, uh, cast a ballot every three to four years and said, ho-hum, you do the right thing by me. It was a direct democracy. They held huge public meetings, 10, 15,000 people. They made decisions, elected delegates who were recallable. The delegates came back to report back. Uh, regarding their efforts. So it's a direct democracy, a pure democracy, not representation, it was about delegation. It was about direct action because they took up arms to protect what they believed were their rights and liberties. It was about direct action. It was about internationalism. Internationalism, people from all corners of the world came to Ballarat to find their fortunes. And when you go to the mass graves, well, the mass grave of the Eureka miners were about half of those who died on that day, about 25 men are buried. You will see names from all corners of the planet. Russian Jews, German Jews. One of the first people arrested for a, for a killing... Captain Wise, the deputy commander of the invading forces of the Eureka Stockade, was a freed slave from New York, John Joseph. And when he was acquitted of high treason by the people of Melbourne in a jury trial, he was chaired 
through the streets of Melbourne. So those people who think this is some type of white racist revolution need to get their uh, story together. And the last thing was solidarity, something which is very important uh, in any struggle, whether it's a, a, a workplace struggle or a struggle outside the workplace. It's solidarity which basically wins the day. And that's why on the 21st anniversary of the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebration Group, we decided to form an alliance with Ballarat and Western Region Trades Hall because obviously we're growing old, we're going to die sooner or later. Many members of our original committee have now died and it's important that uh, these Eureka celebrations continue because to a significant degree the Ballarat City Council has no interest in Eureka. It seems to be ashamed of it, although businesses around Ballarat use the Eureka flag as their business symbol. The university uses the Eureka flag. The council uses the Eureka flag. The Eureka flag has never been flown on the main flagpole on Ballarat City Hall on Eureka Day, not even during the 150th anniversary celebrations 18 years ago. Never flown. And don't tell me it flies there. It doesn't. There's a little Eureka flag, you know, next to it but on the main flagpole never so we'll go through look you're welcome to join us you don't have to ring anybody you just turn up the 168th anniversary celebrations begin at Eureka Park at the corner of Stall and Eureka Street in Ballarat next to the cannons which were donated in 1880 Four, I think, to mark the 30th anniversary of the Eureka Rebellion. There, you'll see stuff there. Eureka Park, 4am. 4am. 4am start. 4 to 6am, guest speakers will be turning up. Everybody gets a chance to speak about why they're there. Communal breakfast between 6 to 9. We don't cater. This is not some type of event you pay money for. You just turn up. Bring your own food and drinks. Communal breakfast, 6 to 9. At 10 o'clock, we meet at Bakery Hill to present six Eureka Australia medals to activists whose life journey encapsulates the sentiments in the Eureka Oath. These are people you've never heard of, but people who've made more of a contribution, who've spent more time promoting the interests of others in our community, not themselves, than most of the uh, so-called recipients of uh, the official, you know, Australia medals which are given out on Invasion Day and Queen Lizzie's and now King Charlie's birthday. Six. From there, we make our way um, to the... Eureka Cemetery to pay our respects to the Eureka miners who are buried there and again there'll be speakers please bring flowers which we place on the grave site from there we go back to Trades Hall we go back to Trades Hall for a a late lunch and drinks which are provided by Trades Hall and after that we go down to the Eureka Centre 
where I'll um, give a dissertation on the Eureka flag, which is on display. And on the 3rd of December, it's free entry for everybody into the Eureka Centre. And after that, we'll have a late lunch in the park. Uh, so bring food and drinks for that late lunch in the park. Well, it should actually be an early... It's more than a late lunch. It's a early tea in the park at Eureka Park. So lots of things happening. You're all invited. Keep an eye on the websites and... Uh, You'll meet uh, many trade unionists and activists because it's about time the trade union movement took back the Eureka flag. And for many reasons, the Eureka flag has been denigrated for a very good reason because the Eureka flag is a flag of rebellion. We. Now, this is an extraordinary oath. This was sworn in 1854, not 2022. We. That means everybody. We swear by the Southern Cross. Right? Not a religious observation. The fact that when refugees and immigrants came to Victoria, they saw the Southern Cross for the first time because the Southern Cross constellation does not appear in the Northern Hemisphere. So as they peered out of their tents or gathered around their campfires, they could see the Southern Cross and they knew they were in a different part of the world. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other, solidarity, and fight to defend our rights and liberties. Although they had no rights and liberties... They were cocky enough to believe they were born with inalienable rights and liberties which no corporation, no state could take away. So, come and join us. All right. Now, I can see you're all excited about the Toscano for Mulgrave campaign. Before we get on to that, this is Anarchist World This Week, broadcast from the studios of Community Radio 3CR. Broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. Facebook pages, Toscano, Joseph Toscano, Toscano Full Mulgrave. Um, web pages, public interest before corporate interests. YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash at Pibsi, P-I-B-C-I, stroke A-U. I should say dash A-U. Um, anarchismedia.org. There's a ton of money away website and the list goes on and on. S- plenty of stuff up there. Have a look. Hopefully in the next week or so you'll see the uh, Eureka stuff go up. But again, it's on a Saturday. It's up to you. I mean, you can think about it or you can turn up. As I said before, we've now teamed up with Ballarat and Western Regions Trades Hall because it's a marriage that had to occur because obviously, as the Ballarat and Western Regions Trades Hall, they have the duty and the responsibility to ensure the Eureka legacy remains the the personal, you like that, the personal property of those people involved in anti-authoritarian struggle, those people who believe in direct action, direct democracy, internationalism and solidarity. Okay, the Toscano for Mulgrave campaign update. Just in case you don't know, I'm now an official candidate for the electorate of Mulgrave, which includes Springvale, Mulgrave, parts of Noble Park, um, in um, you know, in the next state election, Victorian state elections on the twenty sixth of November. 
So why? Why? Why would I waste my time and why would I waste your time? Unfortunately, we are not in a revolutionary period. I mean, 50 years ago, the ideas that were being formulated and enacted were much more radical and inclusive than the ideas which are bandied about today. And when you see the Australian Labor Party or the Victorian division of the Australian Labor Party give Transurban another 40 years of tolls because they're going to build another tunnel which they will extract tolls from for another 40 years and you see the Melbourne ports privatised and you see the titles office privatised and you see public housing privatised and you see Vic Roads privatised, you begin to realise there's something smells in this state. And when you look at the opposition or opposition figures, I mean, their philosophies are even more pro-business. Now, the Andrews-led Labor government in Victoria, and let's not forget the ALP in Victoria, was suspended because of irregularity in... uh, in memberships by the central executive or the federal party itself. It's embarked on this construction blitz over the last four, sorry, eight years. A construction blitz which has basically given a lot of public money, extraordinary amounts of public money, to construction corporations at the expense of the Victorian taxpayer. And although they may look lovely, you know, digging holes in the ground and building stuff, and although they may employ people for a a reason, and especially gold-plated, what we call gold-plated construction projects, you know, that uh, bring billions of dollars into the pockets of uh, individuals and um, shareholders of these uh, privately owned companies, you begin to realise there's a problem. I mean... The policies I'm interested in are positive human-focused reforms. This is nothing radical or revolutionary. This is not the type of campaign I should, should be involved in. But I'm forced to be involved in it because we don't hear people talk about these issues anymore. It's as if the individual is irrelevant. Policies that revolve around food security energy security, public housing, public health, public education and recreation. Simple policies. Policies that can be instituted by a majority in the state, in the Victorian Parliament, at any time. And why don't we have enough resources to ensure that everybody has access to food? I mean, and why do we see 90% of small businesses failing within five years? So these policies are designed to assist people who are struggling and also small business. For example, food vouchers, 150 food voucher for every adult and 75 for every child every month for people who are on a social security benefit. And food vouchers are to be spent in food-related micro and small businesses registered with the state government. 
simple. We've already seen the state government give money away to rich restaurants so that people will go and buy food. I mean, why can't we actually look at people who, you know, we see organisations all over the place setting up food banks, collecting food, distributing food, as if we live in some third, third world country. I mean, recreation is another thing I'm interested in. Everybody deserves a holiday. Every four years, every adult earning less than $1,000 per week will receive a $1,000 accommodation travel voucher and every dependent child receives a $500 accommodation travel voucher to be used in Victoria. Again, it's good for small business. People say, oh, Joe, you're dreaming again. How are you going to pay for it? Well, it's very simple. 50% of stamp duty revenue to be used for public housing. You could build or spot purchase enough public housing every year with the 3 to $4 billion which you collect, which is 50% of stamp duty revenue. You could house 100,000 Victorians in public housing in a year. No more waiting list. In a year. Simple. Simple legislative change. They can pass legislation to privatise the Port of Melbourne? Why can't they pass legislation to increase public housing? Why waste Victorian taxpayers' money on private companies, whether they're for-profit or not-for-profit, to build affordable social community housing? It's a little bit why destroy the National Disability Insurance Scheme on a federal level by allowing the, fed, the private sector to reward it, or the aged care sector, and then this goes on and on. A 1% super land tax on landholders, individuals, businesses and corporations who own more than $5 million of property in Victoria. I'm sure that if you own more than $5 million of property in Victoria, 1% super land tax, no big deal, but it would help a lot of people. Now, a lot of businesses don't own property because they can actually claim the rent you know, as a tax deduction. 1% rent tax on individuals, businesses and corporations who pay more than $5 million annually in rent. Mm. And then there are these new businesses, the virtual platforms, which you're all familiar with, which I religiously don't use, but I'm sure you use. A 1% turnover tax on businesses and corporations who use virtual platforms who pay minimal rent and payroll tax if they have a turnover more than $5 million annually. Simple. As I say to people, do you want things to remain the same? Vote for the same tired old political parties. If you want change, vote for individuals and political parties that are promoting positive, human-focused reforms. Now, I'm not telling the people of Mulgrave to vote for me. I'm not telling them to vote for Dan Andrews. I don't care at the end of the day who they vote for. But the whole point of this campaign, and if you look at the leaflet that is now been dropped in almost every letterbox, about 90 to 90% of letterboxes in the electorate of Mulgrave. It's about policies. It's about how to fund these policies and about 0.5 or maybe even 0.25% of the leaflet has my picture on it. If you look at other campaign stuff... You'll find that 90% takes up with a picture and then a little slogan like doing what's right. That's the ALP slogan. Or what was the Liberal Party slogan? I've forgotten. You know, uh, something for all Victorians, you know. And the list goes on and on. It's just pathetic. It really is. So let's 
The idea is to get some ideas out in the community. Look, I am not going to be elected, all right? I will not be elected. It won't happen. If I get 1% of the vote, I'll be happy. But I'm hoping that people, this campaign will change, you know, maybe two, three hundred, maybe a thousand people's, you know, uh, ideas about what is possible and what isn't possible. Now, currently I've been grateful, very grateful, to all those people who have assisted. And in in almost two and a half days, we've actually been able to letterbox over 20,000 homes, which is about 90 to 95% of the homes and flats in the electorate of Mulgrave. So I'm very thankful for them. I'll give you an example. Somebody who's in their late 80s, called Maureen, turned up. She turned up on a number of occasions and I told her to go home, but no, she insisted. With a walking frame, she went out and letterboxed. Because she thinks the ideas are important. And the dilemma is, you've got to understand that politics has been taken over by professional politicians. Now, the Premier of Victoria, Mr Daniel Andrews, don't feel sorry for him. If he loses you know, his seat, he's got a good superannuation payment and he gets paid quite well. I mean, he's a professional politician like most of them. He went to university, got some undergraduate degree, went to work for some... ALP hack or minister's office, then got pre-selected for the safe Labor seat of Mulgrave in 2002 and has continued to hold that seat. Now, he will most likely win the election and with over 50% of votes. Now, I've got experience. And the thing is, experience doesn't really matter in electoral politics, which is dominated by professional political parties where being a politician is basically a vocation. It's not something you do at the end of your life. It's not something you do because you've got a fire in your belly. It's a vocation. It's the way to make a living. Now, look, I've been a fa- I'm a father, stepfather, grandfather, widower, radical community social activist for over 50 years, medical practitioner for over 47 years, community radio broadcaster, yes, I know you remind me, for over 45 years. I've got Bachelor of Medicine, Bachelor of Surgery from University of Queensland, 1975, Doctorate of Medicine from the University of Melbourne, 1987. So, you know, I've done the hard yards. I see people. I st- I'm nearly 71 and I'm still conducting a part-time medical practice. I'm involved, as you know, when you listen to the Anarchist World this week, in many activities because I believe that, you know, you're on this planet you may as well make the most of it. There's no point cringing and crying and complaining. You know, there's no point being a cringing, complaining, you know, consumer. Nobody gives a shit. They don't care. What they care about is when you rain on their parade. And that's what Toscano for Mulgrave campaign is about. It's about raining on their parade. It's about letting people know there are other ways of dealing with problems we have in this country, problems we shouldn't have with 25 million people living on a continent. And we have these problems, obviously, because of the way the society is structured. Because, you see, it's interesting that in a capitalist society, life in a capitalist society isn't a handicap horse race. 
Now, irrespective of what you think of horse racing, obviously it's there for gambling, basically. Well, ultimately it's about gambling, horse racing. But the fascinating thing is they look after gamblers because they handicap the horses. So have you got a particularly good horse at winning races? You increase the weights on that horse's back so that you equalise the competition between the horses. So most horses may have a chance at some stage of getting a place or a win in that race because if there was no handicapping, the same horses would continue to win the race. Now this is a good metaphor for life in general because although we're quite happy to handicap horses in order to promote gambling, we're not happy to handicap those with resources, those who exercise power and have resources. We're quite happy to live in a society where in a 100-metre race, some people find themselves when they're born 10 metres from the finishing line and some people find themselves 100 metres behind the starting line. And that's what this campaign is about. This campaign is about ensuring that all people living in the state of Victoria, and you could extrapolate it to the rest of Australia, actually lead a decent life. And that a minority don't live in 20 or $30 million homes and have yachts and overseas properties, and the list goes on and on. And some people live on the streets and can't even get access to public housing because public housing's been privatised. Or some people have got to, you know, put their hand out on a street corner to get a few coins or need to go to a place to for a bit of food or can't pay their electricity or gas bill. While other people, not through their efforts, through exploiting other people's labour, let's get this right, every rich person tells you, oh, I did it my way and I did it through my efforts. Bullshit. You need to exploit other people's labour unless you inherit wealth, which is inherited because of exploiting other people's labour. The list goes on and on. So this is so. what can you do to help? Look, if you're interested, fine. If you're not interested, that's up to you. That's fine. But if you are interested, I need feet on the ground. We've now gone from step one to step two in this campaign. Step one was to letterbox the electorate of Mulgrave. Step two is to have enough people at the pre-polling centre in Noble Park. There will be 11 days of pre-polling, starting on the 14th of November, which is next Monday, so I need people relatively urgently. It means you hang around, hand out literature about policies and the way to fund these policies to ensure that in life there is a handicap race and that we handicap the rich and powerful, not handicap those who are born in difficult circumstances. The thing is, we can always all find ourselves in difficult circumstances at the end of the day. So, if you're interested, go to the website, 
Toscana for Mulgrave. Or, more importantly, if you give me a ring, 0439395489. If you've got eight hours to spare, happy to put you on a pre-polling booth. And then in two weeks' time, we'll be looking for about 40 people to cover the polling booths in Mulgrave for the election on the 26th of November. But about 30%, about 10,000, 11,000 people will actually pre-poll. This is only one polling booth that needs to be covered. I don't need people to ring up and tell me what a wonderful campaign you're running, Joe, or what a terrible campaign you're running, Joe, all right? What I need is feet on the ground. Starts at 8.30am, finishes at 5pm, some days will finish at 8pm. Monday to Saturday, on the first weeks, the 14th, the 15th, the 16th, the 17th, the 18th and 19th, and the following week, the 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and election day the 26th. Once again, as many options you've got as far as election is concerned. You can be the super activist, cross your hands and say, oh, I would never participate in an election, and then go to sleep doing nothing. You can say, well, Joe, you're wasting your time and money. Fine. Or you can say, well, Joe, I've got a few hours. I'm happy to spend a few hours in the sun, hand out some material. Maybe it'll change some people's minds. Maybe they'll look up some websites. Maybe they'll become activists. You never know. So the ball is in your court. I've done what I can. I'm now an official candidate. Took a bit of work, but we're there. Okay, so the Toscano for Mulgrave campaign, we need people urgently for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, next week at the pre-polling booth in Naval Park. You're interested? Ring me on 0439 395 489 or go to the Toscano for Mulgrave Facebook page and uh, you can privately Facebook me. But it's easier just, just to ring, leave a message and I'll get back to you because the dilemma is I'll have to get the how, the uh, the literature to you and we'll have to organise the days or the day that you'll actually be able to do it. So the best thing is I'm quite happy to deliver it to your place, but again, it's up to you. All right, let's move on. Now, this Friday will be the 11th of November. Now, 11th of November is a a very important day in Australian history. Why? Why is it so, said Professor Julius Sumner Miller. Why is it so? Well, on the 11th of November, 1854, the Ballarat Reform League was formed. The Ballarat Reform League was the organisation behind the creation of the Eureka Rebellion. That's right. 11th of November, 1854. The 11th of November, 1880, Ned Kelly was hung in the old 
hung at Pentridge, I think. It could have been the old Melbourne jail, and then his body was moved. But Ned Kelly was hung on the 11th of November. There were riots the night before outside the jail because many of many Australians at that particular point in time did not see Ned Kelly as some type of cold-blooded murderer, but they actually saw him as an avenger. Because let's not forget the 1854 Eureka Rebellion, which happened 26 years previously, was a massacre. And that massacre was carried out after the battle has ended by Victoria Police, which had been formed in 1853. It was a massacre. So there was a lot of hostility in regional Victoria, especially between the police who'd been involved in that massacre and the local people who were descendants or members of that generation involved in the Eureka Rebellion who were trying to, to eke, out, eke out a living in Vic, regional Victoria. So that's the 11th of November, 1818. On the 11th of November, 1918, was the end of the First World War a war fought by workers at either end of a bayonet for the glory of God, king and country. Nothing else. A dirty little trade war where over 20 million people lost their lives for nothing. A war which we continue to remember, but we don't actually look at the reasons behind it. And the reason it's important, the 11th of November 1918, Remembrance Day, is that it was the, the radical elements of society who were involved in were at the spearhead, the industrial workers of the world, at the spearhead of significant popular movement which saw the, de which saw the defeat of two conscription plebiscites in 1916 and 1917 which would have allowed the government to conscript Australian men to fight on the killing fields in Europe. And it was their bravery which is never acknowledged, never acknowledged, stopped another 60,000 young Australian men being sacrificed on the European killing fields for the glory of God, king and country. And then there's the 11th of November 1975 when we saw the dismissal of the Whitlam-led Labor government, a government which introduced more reforms in its short four years than have occurred since Federation in this country. And why did it have a radical agenda? Because of people like you and me pushing for radical change, for the introduction of a universal health care system, for the introduction of a pharmaceutical benefit scheme, for the introduction of no-fault divorce, for the introduction of Social Security support for single mothers, which didn't exist in 1972, for an independent foreign policy. And the list goes on and on and on. But today, during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, tsunami that swept over us, we have lost most of those gains. You can't even strike in this country outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period. You've got legislation which is going to go through Parliament which is going to ensure that unions that are not registered will actually not be able to 
you know, represent their work. And the list goes on and on and on and on. We've seen the wholesale privatisation of so many important public utilities which are built up through the blood, sweat and tears of generations of Australians. So, you have a choice. And why was the Whitlam Labor government dismissed? Was it because of the constitutional crisis or was it a bit deeper? Was it because our masters in the US of A weren't happy with the Australian government wanting access to Pine Gap? That's right. There are parts of this country where even the Prime Minister has no access to. Believe it or not, if you don't believe me, ask Mr Albanese next time you see when he's going to visit Pine Gap. All right. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. And finally, I'd like to talk about the concept of democracy. Everybody talks about democracy, you know, as if it's some wonderful thing. Democracy, rule of the people, by the people, for the people, is a wonderful thing. But is one-party democracy a wonderful thing? Is... A representative democracy where you give a representative a signed blank check to make decisions for you for the next three to four years, a wonderful thing. Think about it. Now, those of you who are old enough will remember the slogan when the uh, president of the USA came to Australia, Lyndon Johnson, all the way with LBJ. And we continued all the way with LBJ. Well, I've got a new slogan for you. A new slogan, all the way with Trump land. Now, are you willing to sacrifice your children and grandchildren on the altar of Trump land? Think about it. Think about it. Think about the turn our government currently has taken. It's quite extraordinary. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You got any complaints? Give me a call or make an official complaint. 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Interesting in the Toscana for Mulgrave campaign, which is about spreading ideas. Give us a ring. 0439 395 489 if you can help. And remember, you're not a cringing, carping, complaining consumer. You're an active citizen with rights and responsibility. You have rights, you have responsibilities. Make sure you do more than sit in your couch for the next few years. That's what they want you to do. Watch the sport, go on social media, get become a click activist, but never, never go out on the streets. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction of death construction in the fields of bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning death 
than hatred to mankind. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.